Dave Smith and John Partington, take a seat. Just to let you know what's going to happen. We're not going to take a huge amount of time here. We've got a few questions for each of the, of the, the gentlemen here. Well, um, I think uh, I, I'm, it's a bit unfair in that I, I actually gave, I actually told Dave what questions I'm asking him up front, but I couldn't find you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're quite keen to see what you would say off the cuff. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, um, Dave, you've been in your church now for 22 years. Um, you spoke about starting off with nine people. There would have come a time where you broke 50 barrier, 7,500 barrier, and obviously significant, significantly more than, than that and since then. Um, I think a lot of churches represented here today might be in that, that under 100 bracket at this point in time. Um, so the question raised is what and how did you get your church through the 100 barrier, which I think is quite a significant barrier. Once you break through that, it, it's a little bit easier to get through the next. So um, what processes did you put into place? What structures did you put into place to get from nine to over 100? Um, just to agree, I think it is a tough first 100 to get to because I think there's a whole dynamic thing that happens once you get 100, 200, people start feeling something's happening. So just to say it's a critical issue. Um, just to reassure you, we grew to um, from sort of nine to about 15, and then we had a backdoor revival and ended up with six. So... I do know what it's like to kind of, you know, sometimes people look at success. And <laughs> I was talking to one of the key vineyard guys, and after four years, we only had 25 people. And they said, in the vineyard, we'd have closed you down. So anyway, that was a nice encouragement. Um, so, I, but I do, think, I do think it's about to roots and fruit. I think, um, I really believe that God, God honors his work in us and process. And I think if, if we're seeking, so I, so I, at the bottom line level, if you're allowing God to do what he needs to do and obedient to his, to his voice. Um, so I would say the first four years, we saw little fruit, but we were putting down deep roots. So issues like, for example, you know, we were fairly newly married. We had to learn how to be married. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but I believe God honors little steps of obedience. We had to, I had to learn how to juggle time. So I was not full time for the first four years. And, um, you know, had to learn how to juggle time and how to put family still first as well as preaching. So, that, so I think there's a lot of little steps that we, we miss out on that I think is very important we don't violate processes of God. Um, practically, for, for me, the key was going full-time and taking a step of faith knowing it was God, not just because we had to. So after four years, I made a decision to go full-time with only 25 people on a word from God. And then turned up in the the, the, the summer um, when we made, I made that step to leave teaching. And um, literally the um, number of families joined the church doubled overnight in one week. And by September, so when we made the decision in January, we had no money for our salary. By September, all the money was there. And so I do think, you know, again, it, I, so, so I think there's those kind of things. I think then how you staff next, if you can. Um, I know my gift is not administration and not particularly pastoral either so I brought on another person actually was a lady who was a single lady who was good at both of those and so she came on board and, and that helped so it meant that I didn't get bogged down in the detail I think um, building a team early is crucial um, I think one of the problems is is that because we can be so desperate for growth we can appoint people who have gifting but haven't got our heart and I would say I think that it, it and so very uh, so we made a decision that we would we ran a very rigorous commitment course so we didn't we if hear me rightly we screened people out 
So we had some people coming like, I'm your answer to, you know, what you've been praying for for years, and they weren't. And, you know, and so part of my role was to chase some people out of the church, and it's tough when you haven't got many people in the church to have the courage to say no to people. And I think although it looked like we were going slow, I think in the long run it meant that we've built unity from the start rather than compromising and appointing people because they've got gifts before they've really got your heart. So I'd say that was a key. Um, yeah, if any other inspiration comes. <laughs> I, think, I think being wise on venue as well is important. I think, you know, there's the whole 80% full issue. You know, um, it, we started in our home. We moved to a community center. Sometimes we move prophetically ahead of the growth so that we didn't, other times we just didn't let ourselves get more than 80% full. And so we, hence we had us, David, so helpfully laid out. We had quite a sort of tabernacle history. We didn't get stuck in one location. I know it may be different if you've got a venue, but you've got to sort of think through growth issues. I think sometimes people are just stuck because of venue issues. And sometimes that may mean not mo leave the building. It may be you've got to think about multiple services, but then don't try and do multiples too early if you've only got 50 people because you'll kill your volunteers. So there's lots of kind of practical things. And then, y yeah, I don't know whether that's given any help. That's great. Okay. Yeah, cool. fantastic. And I think uh, well, I'm going to go straight into my second question to you because it sort of builds straight onto that one. I think for many of us, the frustration is venue. Um, we might have our own venue, but it's, you can't do much to it. Um, or you might be renting and constantly moving around. Um, how did you guys get to the position where you told us about the, the land that, that, that you've got? Um, how did that come about? Um, was the money in place first was, or was it faith and then the money came? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, both, yeah. And we, we started a building fund several years before we ever bought the land. So I think in faith, you know, it's back to what do you see and not just what do you hope, what do you actually really believe God has said. And because we believed that we were going to need a land and building, we probably raised almost, I think, a million before we actually got into the actual buying of the land. But then when the whole project's seven and a half million, that's kind of it leaves you a bit short. So I think there's a, there's a mixture of, um, there's a mixture of um, planning and wisdom. And then I think there is a mixture of, the, then you've got to step out in faith. But I wouldn't say, you've got to make sure you're, you've really heard Jesus come before you step out in the water, otherwise you will sink. And so I'd be, you know, just, I, I'm very cautious if, in saying we stepped out in faith and then somebody else does it and they fall on their face. I think you've got to be really sure Jesus has told you now's the time to build and buy land. And I think some people try and imitate other people's faith. I've seen it in this building, and it can be a bit catastrophic. So be wise, but also act in faith. So I think there was, did that, did that kind of, was there anything yeah, else on that? Yeah, yeah sure. Absolutely, yeah. Good, well, John. <laughs> this is a good one. This comes from one of the, one of the pastors out there. Um, uh, our missionary heart as a region beats strongly but um, it is perceived um, to be out of step with the AOG World Ministries nationally. Um, what can be done to get us back walking in missionary step again? Yeah, three minutes, go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, what, what kind of question? Who posed that question? Maybe you want to explain it slightly better. Go on. Yeah, explain it to us. No, no, okay, I understand now, sorry. No, well, I would say go with what you've got. In, in as much um, one of the things, one of the points that I said God is speaking to his church about today, which I just passed over, did I, even, did I even mention it, is focused missionary. 
Yeah. In other words, to just give to people that you don't know and have no, had no relationship with and what have you is very, very difficult. I think you can have a big heart sometimes and do that. But I am far more into what you then say you are doing, where the local church have got people that are going out and you're supporting them. Now, of course, that presents a certain problem for some established Assemblies of God missionaries, but they will have their relationships, and things change in Assemblies of God. Many years ago, Mr. Mundy would be able to help me out on this, whereby we did go more then for the personalized support raised by churches and individuals that wanted to get behind them. And that seems to be what you're saying is happening in the region, that there's, there's loads of churches doing a lot of missionary stuff, but it isn't necessarily with AOG missionaries that went out many, many years ago. Yeah, I, the main thing is to have, a, to have an outlook that is bigger than your own local church. You do need that. But, um, you know, that's what I'd say. Well done. Keep going. Yeah, excellent. Well, <laughs> Dave, Dave Russon, where's he speaking? He's speaking, he's speaking here tomorrow. Yeah, tell him. Ask him the question. <laughs> well, Dave got two in a row. You're getting two in a row. And uh, John, uh, as the, the leader of, of the Assembly of God, what would you like the AOG to look like in five years? Um... I, I really am sold out on this thing of doing a twofold role. One is to get us back to our roots, because I think that um, we have many Assemblies of God Pentecostal churches that for all kinds of reasons are no longer particularly Pentecostal. And so the whole thing about honoring the past um, I want us to be Pentecostal through and through. I want us to learn again that walk in the Spirit. I want us to have that vibrant faith that causes us to take the risk of walking on the water. Uh, I want there again to be that whole family thing. Uh, I mean, you've heard me say it right from day one, whereby we belong to something. Even when we had over 40 new people, between 40 and 50 uh, new people accredited, as ministers within AOG, AOG this year at, uh, at Mattersea, um, it was very much a family affair. That the churches where they were pastoring brought coaches along, and we had them out, and we were praying for them, and, and, and I like that. I think we've lost some of that over the years, and I want all our churches to have good microphones. <laughs> I feel that that is quite an important... Quote. And, and the, the other big thing is the culture. Uh, the biggest thing for me, probably in five years' time, I would like the culture within AO AOG to have altered. And, um, and some of the values of what I was talking about there, the, the generosity of spirit, the culture of honoring, the culture of a recognition. I, I, I'm very much, we've talked about it for years in AOG, years and years and years of the recognition of the fivefold gift of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, and yet it seems we still only recognize most people as pastors and with one or two evangelists. But every church needs the input of the prophet. And every church needs the input of an apostolic gift. And I want us to see a, a great recognition and a releasing into that. So um, I would say I would like to see big developments in the culture and, and getting back to what our heart and root is, which is evangelistic in nature, pioneering, reaching out to the poor, and, uh, and that type of a fellowship. Fantastic. 
You can relax for the next few minutes. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, to you, Dave, this is, this is a question that came from, from the floor. Um, how do you know if what you want to do in your church is from God? If it works, no. Um, yeah, no, I, d I do think genuinely there is a sense that we, we walk by faith. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to say that I'm always 100% sure. I do think there's an element that sometimes you only know afterwards. Um, but I, I think it goes back to, you know, how do you know, you know, how do I know when my wife rings me that it's her voice? And I think it goes right back to, yeah, walking in the spirit. How do we develop an intimate walk with God? And I think that's something you develop over years, isn't it? Um, in Pentecostal company, I can say I pray a lot in tongues privately. And I think that develops a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit because you, you know, and I think it's one of the ways we can stay. I, I, I describe t as tongues often, you can start in the natural, but as you pray in tongues, it gets you into the supernatural. And so I'd say very often I hear God, you know, in extended times of just fellowshipping with the Lord. Um, I think it's taking time aside. So, so I think there are, there are devotional disciplines, reading the word daily, hearing him speak through the word. And then I think there are, there are certain checks and balances that I think all of us need. Um, I kind of, I, I'd say I tend to be pretty good and pretty accurate on what I call the overall gut sense of a thrust of direction of ministry, like a new area or whatever. I get intuitive, sometimes just a, a knowing, sometimes a word, sometimes a picture. Um, where I need help is on timing and implementation. I would naturally be kind of quite impatient and go-getting, and I've had to learn by the school of the Spirit that often my timing is ahead of the Lord. I remember years ago hearing someone say that if I'm, if I'm ahead of the Lord, I can't see him anymore. It's almost better to be slightly behind the Lord because then he's still, do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the point being that, some, and so that's where I, ne next thing would be multitude of counselors. So I will never make a major decision that's going to affect it without carefully processing it through the team. My wife's often a good source of, you know, check in terms of often timing again. Because, see, I can do something that's right, but if it's in the wrong time, the wrong way with the wrong people, it's going to be wrong. So it's not just, you know, hear a vision, come to Cambridge or whatever. It's like how, who, how, you know, why, where. There's a whole bunch of questions. So I think, it's, I, think I would say I need to press through the details. And I find that if we take enough time to hear from God... And, and go through an honor of process. I, I've got apostolic input into my life, so I will check out with them. Just had an amazing opportunity. I won't give it, go into details, but some international ministry have asked me to do something, whatever. My first call was to this apostolic advisor I've got who has been very accurate for me and get his immediate take. And when he starts prophesying it's God down the phone, doesn't mean it, I, I still haven't got to know it's God for me, but it sure does help. So I think there's, there's prophetic confirmation, all kinds of stuff like that. It's not always direct confirmation from God, but very often the, the counselors that you have around you, those speaking into major, your life. Major yeah. use of, yeah, of different, and, and different people. As I say, you've got prof, more prophetic people, you've got more pastoral people, and sometimes that, that, that combination of gift mix, I think, is so vital to get not just a right idea, but to see something go right through to conclusion. I think that's where often we miss it. I think a lot of leaders have got a gut sense of something, but they haven't got the, the enough of the, the, the fullness, the holistic picture to see a dream actually come into fulfillment. Yeah. Good. Well, one final question for both of you, in fact. Now, um, really, the two of you have got very, very different 
roles that you're playing from a local church pastor to national leader. What we were keen to find out is how you balance your week. Now that is between work, your personal devotion time, time with the family, and uh, we'd love to hear from you first, John. <laughs> okay. I, this is a leadership, leadership gathering, um, so I'll make myself vulnerable, and I'll tell you I'm not doing very well at it. Not, that, not this past year. Um, or particularly, I mean, I spoke with David even today, and I spoke with the national leadership team. This is a whole new role for me. And uh, I've always been local church, always, well, not always, but, but, but learned early on in my ministry the importance of having a day off with my wife. Um, I always, in pastoral ministry, took two or three weeks off in a particular time to uh, pray for the next season. I'm not talking about holiday yet, I mean just to get alone with God. So actually, I'd, I'd learnt the disciplines that go with local church life, or I think I had, and was a lot better at it. But this role has totally thrown that out. And for the very, very first time ever, first time ever, couple of weeks, I realized that I need to make some real major adjustments because none of us are, oh, okay, thank you. None, none of us are a superman and I've, I, I, I totally understand that, but the demands of this particular role, I felt it was absolutely essential that I, I got out there and touch flesh. So I want to go to as many churches as possible, not to preach, but to be with the people. To, to bring that sense of family, to bring that sense of identity again and belonging. And, and, uh, and I am a relational guy. I love all of that. Uh, but within the last, even within the last week, so that's why it's a pretty sensitive question to me, as you can tell, I realize I have really got to um, make some adjustments again. So even in a national role, I operate differently. Don't forget, we live in the South Bristol. The offices are in Nottingham. Uh, I'm out every single weekend, which is too much. I, it's too much, but I'm booked up now till um, April of next year with the, every single weekend, with the exception of um, August, which I've got off, and a couple of weeks in, um, in uh, Christmas time, which is totally ridiculous because what I haven't, what I've failed to do is realize that Great men of God go to be with the Lord, and I need to be at the funeral. It was important I was there yesterday. It really was. But that was two days out of a very busy week, which meant that yesterday I was in Aberdeen, here today. To, and so I've got to get back to understanding that this role has still got to be outworked with the disciplines of having proper time. Uh, and I haven't done that very well. And I, I even rang up, do you know my name of Ian Christensen? He, he's somebody I, I rang up yesterday and said, Ian, pray for me please, because I need again to bring adjustments into my life. And, and I'll, I'll invite you all to pray for that as well. Not a very good answer, was it really? Sorry. Great answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, my role is totally different. So I have managed to build some structures in that John obviously knows all about. And I think we all know we need to do it. 
So I think a day off is crucial. I think, you know, I, we're not into Sabbatarian legalism, but I think, you know, the Sabbath principle goes before the law. It's a creational thing. And I've learned, I mean, we had our, you know, if it's not, there's no way that I was going to work yesterday if I'm here with you today. Normally I'd have Saturday off, so I made sure that, you know, what do I do? I went out, um, got up, had a good time with the Lord, went out, did a bit of practice on my golf swing, which was semi-enjoyable. Um, <laughs> went and had a, a walk, um, had some time with Karen, watched the Brazil-Portugal, had a barbie with friends. It's a nice time with my wife, you know, and I felt refreshed. And I know that if I ever violate that, then I suffer. You know, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so I think there's that. Make sure we have proper family holidays. Um, something that I hadn't done until literally two years ago. I'd never had a summer study break. I'm now sold on it. I think with the amount of preaching I do, the amount of public ministry. I, I found that I'd actually, about three years ago, I'd lost my love of preaching. It was an, I, I, the whole preparation thing. Outwardly, it was still fine, but it was like a chore. Don't any of you ever get that? And I realized that although I wasn't violating, you know, I wasn't not walking with the Lord, my um, reserve levels had started getting dangerously low. And as soon as I put that summer study break in, we had our very first ever sabbatical, you know, which some denominations insist on. We'd not had one in 20 years, and we only took a six-week one, but it was fantastic. That was a recharge. Um, and then I do think there are, and, and I felt my tank getting full again. If I hadn't done what I'd done, I'd have preached on Acts 6. And the thing I noticed about these new breed leaders, you keep mentioning the word full. They were full of wisdom, full of faith. And I know when I'm not full. And maybe other people can't tell it, but I know pretty quick. And I think, you know, God doesn't want us to run to empty and keep filling up again. <laughs> he wants us to. So I think um, another thing that I found was... Um, when I get busy, I found that, find that my devotional time is often used for preparation for ministry. Is that valid or not? Well, I'm not going to get struck by lightning, but I've learned over the years that in, in even the last 18 months, I've made a, started making adjustments where most of the time, not every time, rather than go to sermon notes, I will go to reading through a reading plan and sort of, you know, doing a journal and that, that's been a feeding, those kind of things. So, um, and then when I was, when we had, you know, just saying, if you've got young kids, don't waste the time while they're young. If I can plead, you know, don't, don't. And it was, oh gosh, 15, 20 years ago when things were getting busier and busier and the girls were, I don't know, maybe three and five or something. And Karen started leading worship, the worship team. And so she was out on a Thursday night. So I, my immediate default mode was right. That's another night to do some work, see people ring up, you know, do study, whatever. And I really felt the Lord saying, no, that's to be your daddy door tonight. So for probably 10, maybe 15 years, we had a daddy door tonight until they started getting into their teens and whatever. And we would sit and it would start, you know, the, the first thing it would normally be a video or maybe a bit of food together, occasionally go out. So it would be like Thomas the Tank Engine. And then by the time they got to the early teens, I must have watched for about five years, every chick flick going. I'll tell you, I know them, I cried through them all, I, you know. But now when I see where the girls are at and how they're doing, how they love dad and how they love church and they're not just, you know, I think I wouldn't change that for anything. So I think, I think you know, honoring, you know, the marriage, those kind of things. Guys, we've only got one, there's only one us. There's only one you, you know, look after yourself and look after your family. Put yourself first. I've 
Yeah, and I think <laughs> the interesting thing is, everything that Dave said there, You've been doing. if you'd have asked me a year ago, I'd have been able to say the same. And sometimes we know it, but we get dragged into it. And we have to constantly in our lives come back to certain, certain points. And so I know that I'm there. I'm, I'm there on that particular issue. And uh, so it's, it's an interesting journey, isn't it? But God is good. He's doing some great things. And I'd uh, hate you to think that it's not an absolute delight to be with you today, because it really is.